Hey, everybody, it's Pete from the future. We recorded the episode you're about to hear, yeah, two weeks ago, something like that. And things were a lot different two weeks ago, if you remember. And so it may sound like we're speaking as if we have no idea what's going on in the world. I assure you, we do. Here's the thing. We thought about shelving this episode and releasing it again in months when whatever happens, happens. And then our fantastic Discord mom said, you know what, this topic, phone anxiety, dealing with talking on the phone, the anxiety that comes with using the phone, if you're living through this right now with phone anxiety, it's possible this subject is going to matter to you today. So we give it to you in an effort to One, clean house on our end, because we have a lot of production going on with specific resources around living in a pandemic and trying to help you through all of that. It's great stuff to come with some great guests who are ready and eager to help. Also, because we just think this is a great episode and we hope that you get something out of it, even though it does sound like we're talking to you from another planet. So with all that said, here it is, dealing with phone anxiety. Stay safe, everybody, and don't forget to wash those thumbs. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rash Pixel FM. I'm Pete Wright, and right over there is Nikki Kinzer. Hello, everyone. Hello. Nikki, you were I can't You were sick last week. I know. I know. I, know. I was sick last week. It's the first show. I have ever done without you. I know. Or no, so weird. I'm not, you didn't I'm, even see, do the I'm show. Like You're delirious. Up. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, you. it was the only show that I've ever not been a part yeah. of, is what I mean to that say. That was weird. That yeah. was weird. I hope we I did know. okay. I missed you guys. I know. Ari was great. Um, but that's none of that really matters to our principal conversation today. The most important thing that I need to hear about, and I know select listeners want to hear about, is... How'd you do at the mentalist experience? It was so phenomenal. Was it? <laughs> it was so interesting <sighs> and so weird. And uh, yeah, it was a crazy experience. And if you ever have a chance to to uh, be around one, it is really amazing. Like, I just don't know. I can't, I, I don't want to bore people because it's hard to kind of explain, but there were things that I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he figured it out. I don't know. And we were a part of it. Like I, I had a little part of, he had to try to guess which colored dice I had picked and what number I picked. And he got both of them right. Wow. Um, my friend had to have a, had to, had to draw something had to be an object and she drew a clock at 3 p.m. and he got what? it right. I know it is the weirdest thing. And then there were all these numbers that he had people like go around and say, okay, you know, pick a number one through one, one through a uh, hundred. And so six people like picked a, a number and then out of his pocket, he puts out or he takes out this lottery ticket from New York City three years ago that had the exact same numbers. He did not. Yes. Humans are amazing. That's great. Yeah. I don't know how it worked. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was magic, if it wasn't magic, if he's just really like, you know, maybe there were cameras all around us and we just didn't know. I don't know. And there are just cues. I I really believe that we give off cues that we have no idea we're giving off that some people are incredibly experienced and practiced at reading. 
I, that's just what well, they do. And I do think, I do think that that's how he figured out my, because my number was two yeah. and my uh, dice was black. You and have two he'd eyes me, and two nostrils well, and uh, clearly we're wearing really, a black jacket. Right. No, no. It was so interesting though. And then we'll move yeah. on because really I could talk about this all day. Uh, what was so interesting about it is that there was three dice. There was a black white and red and obviously they were one through six and he says okay so pick out you know under the table don't show anybody what you're doing pick out one of the dice and choose a number and then put it underneath this little teacup and so i did it and um i didn't even have really any like thought because at first i thought well i'll pick the red dice and i thought well i'll do the opposite of what i would pick and so i did black I had no idea what number to do. So I went ahead and just actually like put the number, whatever it was on, which was two. Mm -hmm. So I just, I mean, there was no rhyme or reason yeah. for it at all, right? So then he says, well, let me ask you three questions. First question was, are you a morning person? And I said, yes. And then the second question, I can't remember. But then the third question, he said, um, I want you to count one through six. And so I said, one, two, three. And then he said, stop, it's two. And I'm like, how do you know that? And he did give this away. He said, because I nodded at two. Oh, yeah. So one, I two. went one, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six. But because I nodded without even knowing, he you knew that that's what it was. You yourself. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. it. So, and I do think that there were some cues off of that. Like, you know, like, um, is it a face card or is yeah. it a numbered card? But but I don't know how he figured out the clock. I don't know how he figured out the numbers. Um, I mean, it was crazy. Crazy, crazy, Those crazy. But he was fun. Those are fantastic. I used to dream. Like, if you asked me if I could have any superpower, it was Sherlock Holmes. I would, I just, for the longest time as a kid, I wanted to be that observant. And yeah. uh, I think that is, that's just mystery. Anyway, yeah. we, we are talking about some uh, really fun stuff today. Really fun. If you like yeah. phones. And you like anxiety. And you love anxiety. This is the and place. And we have a co-host <laughs> of an anxiety show of What's That Smell? I, Pete if Wright. you've ever asked, what is that smell? I'm the guy. Okay, we're talking about phone call anxiety uh, today, Nikki, and ADHD. Yes. Where did this come from? You know, um, well, first of all, it came from our lovely assistant, uh, Melissa. <laughs> she gave us some of um, some topic ideas, so I'm not going to take a whole lot of credit <laughs> for it. Uh, she uh, came up with some ideas around communication because the next few weeks we want to, you know, really kind of focus in on communication and ADHD. And and uh, this was one of the very first topics that she brought up. And I thought, wow, what a great uh, topic, because I know I know with just the clients I work with that phone calls drive up a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of voicemails out there that aren't getting answered yeah, or returned, yeah. I should say. Right. Um, and so it's a really interesting topic and I think a lot of people actually relate to it. So let's talk well, about let's, it. Yeah, let's talk about it. And and so, you know, because we're talking about it as both an ADHD thing and an anxiety, I figure let's unpack a little bit about of the anxiety stuff first. Uh, right, right. You know, because this is something that it, it affects a lot of people, even who don't live with ADHD or whose ADHD does not impact them 
in this particular way. So uh, how first step back and think, how do phone calls make you feel? Right. And there are a lot of yeah. words that people toss around with folks. I mean, how do you do with phone calls? Do you have any phone call anxiety? I do. Um, I do, actually, because it's I. I don't like them <laughs> because they're unexpected. OK. And if I don't feel like talking to the person at the time that they call, it really throws me off. And now I'm just now I just don't answer it. Right. And I just let it go to voicemail. Um, but I think that's the anxiety I get is that I wasn't expecting this phone call. And now I have this person calling me. And do I really want to talk to him at this moment in time? And some people I do, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yay, mm -hmm. somebody called and I'm excited. Uh, but I actually, even in my business, I stopped putting my phone number on the website a long time ago. Because I didn't want people just calling. Right. Um, it's much easier to get a hold of me via email right. and scheduling an appointment. Right. And um, so, yeah. So I kind of nipped some of that stuff in the bud. Yeah, I feel like I did that too. I mean, I put my Calendly up there so you can actually schedule with me directly on the website. Like those things really changed my life in terms of phone calls. But there's still the other aspect, which is actually making calls, right? The idea right. of picking up a phone call. And when you read about phone call anxiety, right, the 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 way people like I jump on the anxiety comment board. You got to know, I spend a lot of time in anxiety forums uh, for the other show. So I sort of truck in this space and you hear people talk about how it makes them sick, how it makes them nauseous. They start shaking. They lose uh, like they, they lose focus. They feel like their their vision goes blurry. Right. They freeze up because they don't know what to say. Uh, they're terrified of embarrassing themselves. They'll, uh, as you mentioned, they'll delay calls. They'll avoid making calls. They just are overwhelmed by this spirit of anxiety. And many of them don't understand that this is a real thing. Phone call anxiety is a real thing. It is uh, a recognized part of social anxiety disorder, which is one of the five major types of anxiety disorders. Quick review. There's generalized anxiety disorder, GAD. It's one of my very favorites. There's obsessive compulsive <laughs> disorder, the, uh, OCD. There's generalized panic disorder. There is post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and where we're talking today, social phobia or social anxiety disorder. I prefer social phobia because it's not SAD sad. Oh, we're Aww, trying not to be sad. sad. Social anxiety disorder. <laughs> but but here's what the definition is of a social anxiety disorder. An anxiety disorder characterized by overwhelming anxiety and excessive self-consciousness in everyday social situations. Social phobia can be limited to only one type of situation, such as a fear of speaking in, in informal or informal situations or eating or drinking in front of others, or in its most severe form, may be so broad that a person experiences symptoms almost any time they are around other people. So as any spectrum disorder, this impacts people in a lot of different and wonderful and terrifying ways. Uh, right. So we, we address this first because we recognize that you're not alone in experiencing this thing. It is mm -hmm. real and recognized because there is an army out there of people who don't appreciate the phone very much, right? And, right, and so right. that's that's part of it. Now, why? Without reading ahead, Nikki, why do you... Oh, shoot, ugh. you caught me. 
You saw me reading ahead. I am almost a mentalist. That is amazing. I know. Uh, I know. I, I, why would you think, right? The number one reason, why would you think that people have so much trouble on the phone if they're living with this particular brand of social anxiety disorder? I'm going to guess that it's it's the I mean, it's somewhat of what you've already mentioned. It's the fear of maybe being misunderstood or the fear of am I talking too long? Am I not getting my point across? Am I um, not happy enough? Am I oh, too one. happy? Um, you know, I think it's just that that judgment, that fear of judgment that you're going to do it wrong, that somehow you're going to disappoint the other person on the other line. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, that's that is certainly a big part of it. There's a lot of judgment. The number one reason when you talk to professionals about this thing who are studying communication disorder is that it comes uh, because phone calls are all about the words. Right. And communication is mostly uh, not about the words. OK, so unpack that. Okay. When you are talking yeah. to somebody in a social situation like we are now, many people don't recognize we're on video right now. So we can see each other's faces. We can read each right. other's social cues when we're having a conversation. We can uh, raise our hands <laughs> if we want to interrupt mm-hmm. one another. Right. There are right. so many unspoken cues that go in and about having a conversation with somebody when you are human beings. Right. When you're when you're mm-hmm. actually engaging uh, with people in real time face-to-face. And those facial expressions, body language, all those gestures are completely gone when it comes to phone calls, plain old telephone calls. All you get are the words and intonation. Mostly, though, intonation pauses those kinds of breaks in speech. When we're just listening to those and we're living with phone call anxiety, we read those as negatives, right? A pause is a pause because somebody is judging me, right? A pause or a break in speech is is somebody who doesn't understand what I'm saying. I've confused them. I've spoken too fast. Uh, And those things are terrifying and they just amplify the social anxiety. So, I, I love this. This is uh, Alison Papadakis, who's a, a, a psychologist at Johns Hopkins. Uh, she characterizes phone call anxiety as a race, like phone calls themselves are a race. Until you hang up the phone, you are dancing. Unlike texting or email, which offers you the benefit of time to think, if you pause right. to think on the phone, that communicates uncertainty and doubt and fear in so much that you may not intend. That pressure is exhausting. It is a race to hang up the phone. And I think that is a really great way to characterize just how a lot of people feel about picking up the phone and calling somebody. Jeremy Jameson at University of Rochester says related to that, phone calls are longer than texts and emails, right? There is this undue pressure to have this conversation when if you're texting, you can take a minute, you can think, you can rephrase, you can delete. If you're emailing, you can actually pose a thought that you've had time to think about before you actually press send. And those things on the phone call can be terrifying. What do you think so far? Oh, I think it's so true. In fact, I relate to this so much, especially the race part, because I think that especially when I'm talking about um, in my job, in my work, right? If I'm talking to a new client or an inquiry, or I'm talking to a parent who has a a student who, you know, may want to coach with me, there is this like pressure of, 
did I say everything I needed to say? And did I answer all the questions? And then even if they ask me a question, I'm not really sure. You have this pressure of, I've got to answer this question. I should know this question. Totally. <laughs> and then you get off the phone. You're like, I wonder how I did. I wonder if they're going to choose me. I wonder, you know, and then you're, th- you're ruminating over everything that was just said. And the other thing that I really relate to is that... um I think what I was trying to talk about earlier is when you get an unexpected phone call and you're not really ready to talk to that person or you don't really want to talk to that person at that time, it it does give you that pressure of I I don't I have to put them to voicemail. And then there's this little guilt that you're putting them to voicemail because it's not on your time frame. And then I feel guilty about that, right? And But with text, you're right. It's like they could text me and I have the freedom then at that point to get back to them when I right. want to. Uh, I think we're seeing a shift in that guilt piece. I want to come back to that because I think that's a really great observation about how you feel when you flush someone. And flush is not a great term, but I still love it uh, when you send somebody to voicemail. But we'll talk about that in a minute. I do want to come back around to this judgment piece because Jameson, uh, Jeremy Jameson at University of Rochester, I mentioned earlier, he had this to say about judgment and the social contract, right? All of our survival as humans depends on other people. We are very social creatures. So anytime we put ourselves out there to be evaluated, that produces a lot of stress for us. It's kind of the same thing as public speaking or going into a job interview or other sorts of experiences that tap into this evaluation process. People perceive that they might not be able to perform well in those situations. And phone calls are improvisational opportunities for self-judgment, right? And we are not all trained improvisers. And that put that gives us way too much time to reflect on how bad we are at opening our mouths when we don't have time to actually think about it. Yeah. And and he, his observation is that the stakes are actually even higher when you have a closer relationship with the person you're calling, because now you're thinking not what you would expect, right? Not that, oh, you know, I'm just talking to Nikki on the phone and she understands me and we've known each other forever and we're dear friends. And of course, if I screw up on the phone, uh, she's going to understand, which is the reality. Right. Right. At least I hope it is. It is. (laughs) But what I'm thinking in my lizard brain is, oh, my God, I've known Nikki for a long time. And we have this deep relationship, having worked together for so long. And if I screw up on the phone, I might damage that. Right. Yeah. You are yeah. actually. You go to the the uh, catastrophizing. Catastrophizing. Yeah. Right, exactly. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Catastrophic thinking is always in the back pocket of those living with anxiety. Mm -hmm. Never. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talk about it on every single episode of What's That Smell. It is the way our brains work. It's just the orb, the the planet out around which we orbit is being able to to magnetically find the center, the beating heart of the catastrophe that's always at hand. Yes. Uh, So worst case, worst case scenario. Right. And, and and so that inexperience is something we have to acknowledge, that inexperience, you just don't pick up the phone that often, right? Especially mm-hmm. now, you know, how much do we love saying, oh, kids today, right? Oh, those. Yeah, they, we had that home We phone. had that. Oh, gosh, <laughs> when I used to be carry around with a 45-foot stretched out cable around the thing. Yes, you know, around the exactly. corner, yeah. Well, we had more practice picking up the phone. It was part of our cultural identity. We 
learned yeah. to make calls earlier. We made more calls more frequently and even dumb calls uh, we made a lot mm-hmm. because we couldn't find out answers online. So we had to call the deli to find out if they had our pulled pork in or we had to do those things. We don't have call that. Call the movie yeah. theater to find out what movies you're exactly. playing and when. This is movie phone, right? I mean, we had to do that. And uh, younger generations right now have less experience doing that. So the pressure is higher for the calls that they do have to make. The stakes are generally and observably higher for them. That's a good point. So these are all things related to the phone call anxiety part. Are we doing okay Mm -hmm. so far as I'm I'm spouting all this stuff out at you? All right. So let's talk then about ADHD and calling. I I have a hunch that ADHD exacerbates existing phone anxiety. That I think you're right. Yeah, that if you but if you (laughs) don't have phone anxiety, you can perform just fine with ADHD. And I did some rigorous empirical research uh, asking a couple of friends. uh, And so terrible research. Uh, But I I asked them with their ADHD, do they care about phones? And and all three of them said in my massive sample size. Oh, yeah, I don't think much about it. Mm -hmm. They don't care about phones. And that was one of them said, I don't care. Uh, I don't care about calls. I'll make calls. I, I might sound like an idiot. I don't feel anything about it. Their ADHD is not impacted this way, right? Or does not impact them this way. But mm-hmm. if you already have some phone call anxiety, then my goodness, the ADHD symptoms rear their heads. First of all, you have to deal with the distraction factor, right? Getting on the phone right. is troublesome because it's only giving you one sense, right? That sense, you just mm-hmm. have to focus on one sense. But what about what's going on around you that the listener can't see you looking at, right? They don't see that you have yeah. a dancing bear right in front of you and you love that bear right. and you want to play with that bear. And actually that bear is, uh, you know, your sunglasses, but it doesn't matter. It's a dancing bear, right? Right. <laughs> uh, okay. So you have to figure out like how to, how to deal with that distraction and the absence of other sensory activation. You know, my, one of my favorite movies, not not because it's a great movie, was Daredevil, you know, the Ben Affleck movie. It, it was not a mm-hmm. great movie, but there's an incredible scene where they have the, you can visualize what it's like to go blind and hear the world, but actually see the shapes of the world come around as you, you know, as this kid is sitting in this hospital room and he bangs the bed and the echo, he's kind of, it's like a dolphin, right? It's like echolocation. And he sees the yeah. shapes of the room appear in the sound waves around him. And that's the visualization of Daredevil's superpower. And it's amazing. It's just a beautiful <laughs> thing. And I think about that all the time because I think, well, if I close my eyes and then I hit something, will I be able to see the room? Well, I can't because I don't do that. But I do, uh, uh, you know, love this idea that if one of our senses are occupied, the others get sharper. That doesn't doesn't happen <laughs> with ADHD. Mm-hmm. That is a complete fantasy. And so the absence of, of you know, hearing, having that being occupied on the phone, uh, I just become a complete mess with the other senses. Yeah. They just want all the attention. They just want, I right, want to eat right. constantly on phone calls. It, raise your hand if you eat You're on a call. Everything. Oh, gosh, I smell ooh, laundry. Mm, let me give me some more of them dryer sheets. Like, it's just one of those. So, so what do you do? You uh, you avoid making the calls. You avoid mm-hmm. phone conversations, right? You, you flush and feel guilty about sending calls to voicemail. 
Right. Uh, our, our very good friend, you may recognize his name, Ari Tuckman from last week. Uh, yes. He, he actually wrote a piece that I didn't even know he wrote. Melissa found this. This was fantastic. He says uh, this was from uh, November 14th, 2009, Attitude Mag piece on ADD phone anxiety. And he has a couple of these wonderful little quips to say. He says, I often say jokingly that not listening to a voicemail should be one of the diagnostic criteria of ADD. <laughs> True. <laughs> this this particularly, and you can relate oh, to that, right? We're going to talk about that. That was one of the best things I okay. ever did in my life. Good. Uh, Good. He says talking on the phone is harder than talking in person because your attention wanders. You don't have visual feedback. That is a huge challenge, right? So right. here's here's what we need to do. We need to do some cognitive restructuring. Mm-hmm. We're going to replace negative thoughts with our positive thoughts. That's what we're doing when we're doing this cognitive restructuring. So you're thinking about, like you brought up uh, being bothered, right? And that you send the calls to voicemail. Mm-hmm. Well, if my anxiety in calling you is, oh my gosh, and now you've totally planted it in my head, that when I call oh, Nikki, no. I'm going to bother her, <laughs> right? Then uh, I, I have to find a way to reframe that. Otherwise, the negative will stick. And so I might reframe that saying to myself, you know what, if she's really too busy to talk to me, why would she answer the phone? If she's re- if right. I'm really bothering her, she'll send me to voicemail, and that's okay because now is not the time to talk. I don't want to. I don't want to talk to Nikki if she feels bothered by my call. Now is not the time. She's not going to be in a mood to receive that call. So it's okay, <laughs> right? We got to reframe and look yeah. at the uh, look at the other side of those those fears. And so we have this thing. This is a this is part of exposure therapy uh, that we call. We're building a fear hierarchy to expose ourselves and practice getting to the other side of this particular phobia or anxiety disorder. This is what we do. Is this something that you like? Did you make this up, or is this like a no? This like, is this is a practice. This do. is exposure. So for me, I, I have a, 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 a phobia of, of needles. I pass out when needles get close to my inner forearm. It is a long running thing. It's plagued me as a kid, as an adult. I just roll over, and now the nurse just says, "Look at the little ducky picture," and my eyes cross, and I go down. So okay. I have to go through this sort of cognitive restructuring and and build the fear hierarchy. Now, when I went through this, they didn't do it. They didn't call it the fear hierarchy, but that's what it is. You take the things Mm -hmm. that you are scared of about this experience, and then you rank order them from least scary to most scary. So for me, it was like looking at a needle. I don't have a problem looking at a needle, right? What about touching a needle? You know, ironically, I don't have a problem touching a needle. What about me touching a needle and actually touching the metal part of the needle and rubbing it on my own skin? I don't have a problem with that either. I'm 100% in control of that. I can do that. And so they give you the tools to actually practice all that stuff on yourself, like with yourself, and slowly but surely, the things that you are scared of come more into focus. And for me, it's when somebody else has the needle close to my forearm, right? We're close to my body, right? right? So uh, in, in my case, I had to confront all of those when my dad had his you know, quadruple bypass surgery, and they actually right. put the IV in his neck. And that was a terrifying and horrible thing. But once you go through that, you that exposure desensitizes it to you. And that is what happened to me. And I feel better about it. So we mm-hmm. have to build our hierarchy of fear around phone anxiety, right? That's that's a big thing to get yourself 
in a practice of overcoming the things that you're terrified of. So it, in this case, the fear hierarchy starts with maybe calling a number that uh, you know will only have a recorded message, right? Like a customer service line. Pick up the phone oh, and just, just go through the action of putting it to your head and listening and hanging up, right? Mm-hmm. Then number two, maybe you call a family f- member or friend that you know well, somebody who you can have a light conversation with and move through uh, the, again, picking up the phone experience. Now you're going to engage in the conversation for a little bit and then hang up. Right? Maybe you say goodbye first. You you know, depends on how well you know them. Ooh, does that give another anxiety about who hangs up first. Like, I, I just thought of that. I like sometimes there's anxiety around, okay, I know I'm done with this conversation, but I, maybe I'm, maybe they're not. Yeah. yeah. And so I have to wrap it up. And then I wonder if I wrapped it up too soon. That's definitely can be a part of it. Yeah. If that, if that plagues yeah, you, yes. I have that. Yeah, I... Hands up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why in movies, they never have to do that because you notice in conversations in movies never end with goodbye. They just end the conversation and they hang up. Uh, because they're done. People just are done with that convention. Uh, but but let's go wow. through, to some of the even more okay. scary things, right? Then you call a business and ask a question like when they close or where's my pulled pork or call someone you don't know with a simple question. Like all of these are amping up certain elements of the fear anxiety response, right? Finally, mm-hmm. uh, you get to the probably the hardest things, right? Uh, calling somebody that you don't know well about a complicated issue, right? Something that you might otherwise deal with in an email because you don't want to make that call. If it's because you don't want to make that call, maybe part of the the exposure is to make that call. That's so true, especially when it's a sensitive subject. Absolutely. It's so easy to just think, oh, I'll send them an email. But it's so much better to to confront the uncomfortableness that you're yeah. feeling, the anxiety that you're feeling and make the That's call. That's right. And then we add the, the icing on the cake, the piece de resistance of fear. Mwah. Make all of those same previous calls in front of one person, just somebody Mm. who's sitting in the room, and then try doing it again in front of a group of people. (gasps) Now, Now, what's the purpose of that, though? Because you're not going to be doing that on a normal, you know, day-to-day basis anyway. Really? You've never had a job at a call center. You've never had a job on an open plan office. This is the context well, of yeah, these phones in, because yeah, the people who those, are that yeah the people who are feeling that anxiety they don't like using the phone at work at all because people Got are it. around okay. there constantly half listening to half the conversation. Right. right, that's when that anxiety rears its head the most and. Yeah. Arguably, it's most important that you get over that because a lot of, of uh, places that require you to be making calls or engaging with the phone, uh, they're doing it probably in some cockamamie open plan office and it's just bad. Right. Or the worst, do you yeah. have a small office? My first job, it was a small office. We all had half stupid cubicles, right? So you didn't even have the illusion. Mm-hmm. You had the half illusion. So you you could see everybody's heads. You could hear everything. But you had this stupid half wall that was just like, you know, we thought about putting cubicles and then we thought, no, we hate you. So we put half cubicles to really hammer it home. Yeah. So uh, those are the con- constraints where you have two or three people in an office and only one person has to make a phone call. 
call. Who's going to pick up the phone and make that phone call? Can you imagine the anxiety that comes around that? It's terrible. So you've got to get to the other side of that piece and learning how to make it a performative experience, something that you just recognize, I have to get to the other side of this. That's that's really important. So we have a couple of (laughs) possible solutions that I want to talk about as we wrap up. Number one, make use of visual voicemail. Now, uh, if you're an iOS user, iPhone user, your visual voicemail is built into the phone. Uh, and so you should be able to look at your voicemail messages and see a transcription of your voicemail. For Android, I don't believe it comes stock on Android, uh, but most of the phone carriers do offer some sort of basic visual voicemail built in that Android will plug into. That's my understanding. If you don't have that, check out Google Voice. It is super easy uh, to get that set up. It's a little bit, uh, there's a little bit of a downside there. You have to set up a new phone number, but don't worry about that. You don't actually need to receive calls on that phone number. You just need to go through the process of setting it all up and it's free and it's available for everybody. Actually, iOS users can use that too. I have a Google Voice number. It's a, it's pretty standalone. And the transcription, Google's transcription is great. They've been doing it the longest. Uh, They actually acquired a company. It used to be called Grand Central. It's been around forever doing exactly this kind of thing, transcribing voicemail. Uh, I find sometimes my iOS transcriptions are not great, uh, where (laughs) uh, the Google Voice transcriptions are great. Uh, We'll put a link to some other uh, really great services. But those are the basic ones. They're free. Generally, they're closest to you. um, And uh, so super useful there. I uh, think headphones are important, but I didn't have any real success in fighting my personal ADHD focus issues with my headset. I used to have a Jabra kind of one ear thing that hung out like a dummy, right? Hangs off your head. That was okay. But for me, the real, like, I I don't know, the, the sun came out when I got my Bluetooth headset that actually covers both ears and lets me make those phone calls, right? Like when the mm-hmm. iPhone first came out or the uh, with the, the cable and I could make calls and cover both ears, so I'm hearing the call in my head completely, that made a huge difference. So this is, you know, personal use. Consider if you're using one earpiece, using two earpieces to fight the distraction piece of of the ADHD part in your head. It makes a huge mm-hmm. difference. Uh, and video, you know, this is this might be a little bit counterintuitive, but if you are not using video calls with people who are able to use video calls with you, consider doing that uh, because you are now engaging more senses. And in fact, you feel right. more empowered and more in control because you can see the other party that you're talking to. And even if it's the other party that's like my dad, who's still constantly answering his video calls by hanging, putting his phone up to it easier, <laughs> Like, you think that's a joke that you only see in commercials and sitcoms, and then your dad does it, and it's, come on, man, come on. Uh, But it makes a big difference if attention is your challenge through Mm -hmm. phone calls. I agree. Uh, And and finally, the one thing that you, you speaking not a video, the one thing that the other party doesn't get to see is what you're doing with your hands while you're on a phone call. So if you have the headset in, use fidgets like crazy, people. Like, get the Mm -hmm. things that you can play with because uh, this is the only time when no one can judge you for what's in your hands because they can't see it. Right. There you go. What do you think? Right. How do we how do we do? That's what I, I got. I think it's great. The only I would add one thing 
And because we talked about this when we were talking about doing phone interviews, um, when we were talking about interviewing, I had a a client in one of my group sessions who said that they were doing a phone interview and actually used the advice of bullet pointing like what he wanted to make sure he um, talked about. And he said that was a huge help for him. And so that's the only thing I would add to this is that if you can and it makes sense, have something in front of no, you. No, absolutely. Any, especially if you're going through the fear hierarchy and you want to explore like the things that you're scared of and you're preparing for a complex phone call, definitely mm-hmm. write down some points you want to talk about, mm-hmm. right? And, and you know, we maybe don't talk about it enough on this show because we're sort of having a call, right? Right. We're doing as we record this thing. Oh, I can't think about it too much because if I do, then I would probably go into, yeah. I I would probably go into a panic and then I don't know if we would ever have the show again. <laughs> so I just don't go there. Well, it's, we've managed to shift the context a little bit, but you know, we don't come on into this blind. We've right. done uh, research. Like I spent the morning researching this topic to make right. sure I had my thoughts in order and putting them in order in a Google Doc That's that right. we are right. working on. Like we come into this prepared. And this is if you if you, all of these things like you have the opportunity to take back control and give yourself a measure of confidence by doing what you need to do to prepare and 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 not feel like everything you do on the phone is an improvisational exercise. It doesn't have to be. Great point. There you go. This is great. Thank you, Well, Pete. I hope it's helpful for somebody out there. And uh, uh, relax, pick up the phone, give us a call. We don't have a number published. Don't call us. Don't worry about <laughs> it. You know, the last thing I, I did mention that I, we were going to come back to is that guilt factor. And I do want to talk about that. And I, I think that's, again, I think the tides are changing around how we mm-hmm. feel about sending calls to voicemail and the acceptance of texts and emails as an alternative to uh, uh, making those calls. I think it's okay to let yourself go about that, to let mm-hmm. go of those feelings mm-hmm. of guilt. I uh, it was it's now been years that I changed my incoming voicemail on my my phone to That's right. I love you, don't leave a message. I will not check it. I will never check it. And at that point, I stopped letting people down because I set expectations for my relationship with voicemail. I have a terrible one. Please text or email. And you know what? They did. And I don't and it's so it's so true and it works because I don't if I call you and I get your voicemail then I don't I don't ever leave a message. I just hang up and then I'll text you. And the only reason I would be calling you is if I actually really do need to talk to you like so, well, and that social you know. contract is really important because I know if you call me it's probably important right? That I should either, if you miss me, I'll call you right back or, uh, you know, because I'm driving or something uh, or make sure I check my text immediately because you're about to call to text me. Like it's a social contract. Like you figure it, it out. It is really yeah. totally. Right. Yeah. That That's yeah. really, really, really all we have to talk about this week. Thank you everybody for downloading and listening to this show. On behalf of Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright. I'll catch you next time right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast.